The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's nine minutes after eight here on AM Live. Thank you so much for tuning into the forum. And if you've only just joined us, thank you so much for uh, joining us as well. Well, this morning, a very interesting question that we will be addressing. In 1994, South Africa became a democracy and the African National Congress has been at the helm of the country's government and wields much political power. We have since talked about the shift of economic power, which still rests in the hands of a minority and uh, there's been a lot of talk lately about radical economic transformation, even though for the most part uh, we are unable to pinpoint exactly what that means. But um, we can see traces of the previous administration of that apartheid government through policies and structures still in present-day South Africa. The people of South Africa still remain on the sidelines, shouting at government to deliver on promises and to steer the country uh, into a better day uh, Uh, focusing mainly on growing the economy and uh, thereby hopefully bettering people's lives. But have you for a second stopped and wondered who sits at the helm controlling the country that is South Africa, politically, economically, whatever else you would like to add to this mix? On the forum at 8 this morning, we are asking who rules South Africa. And interestingly, um, just looking at what some people have said, Feriel Hafaji, after President Jacob Zuma's inauguration, um, she went on to say that, in fact, uh, the ANC Secretary General, Gwede Mantashe, he may be uh, the one who is actually ruling South Africa. And then uh, authors Paul Holden and Martin Plott, um, in their book, Who Ruled South Africa, they go on to say it's the fat cats and the securocrats and organized crime elements are now also playing a major role in the country. And then uh, looking at some of your SMSs that have come through in response to this question, Norma in Durban says the unions rule South Africa. And um, this one from Kathy, Kathy's response is that it is China. China rules South Africa. So that's the question we're asking you this morning. Who actually rules South Africa? 0891-104-208. That's the number to call in and the lines are open. You can also SMS us on 34701. Tweet or Facebook at AM Live on, SA, uh, at, on, at AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. Those are the ways in which you can get in touch with us. And joining us for this conversation, Professor Somadota Fikeni, who is a political and policy analyst. Thanks for speaking to us this morning. Good morning to you, Sakina, and good morning to all your listeners. Now, uh, Professor Fikeni, without much ado, let's just get straight into it. Who really runs South Africa? And also, you know, what do we need to factor in uh, when we are trying to answer this question? Well, power in terms of classic political science resides in three spheres. One, economic, which is the one that has more bearing than others and secondly it's political and thirdly it's social now if you have had colonialism and apartheid over a period of 350 years power structures emerge and evolve during that time and that also is reflected in the distribution of power i mean of uh, wealth And when you do get independence, it depends on whether you took power completely and those who had been in power flee in a classical colonial sense. 
But in a South African sense, we have a very complex transition where the liberation movement was too strong to be defeated, but it was too weak to have an outright win. So there was an impasse, in which case a negotiated settlement meant that some elements or greater elements of what was there before would be retained, not only in terms of civil servants and power sharing, but also the economy was hardly touched at all. So what you saw there is a classic case which Ali Masrui says, because of this impasse, uh, the crown was given over to the new emerging political elite, uh, and the jewel remained with those who always had been in control of the wealth. And that situation has not changed that much. So the black majority largely is left with political power, and the white minority largely has the economic and social power. Remember, blacks may be a numeric majority, but they are a cultural minority because of that very same hegemonic power arrangement. Then there is the global context as well, Mm -hmm. because that too influences what can and cannot be done. In a nutshell and in very simple, crude terms, who rules South Africa is the person or the formation that can make things happen or may frustrate things from happening. And and, then just looking at that, and and, and you've outlined it so um, lucidly there, if you talk about, you know, the economic power uh, sitting in, uh, you know, one group of hands and the political power. So, um, y- you know, you have power vested in different uh, entities, as it were. But then, you know, how much control does economic power, for example, then have over political power? Massive. In fact, if you want to talk of the hardcore power, much of it, I would say, 70 or more percent of hardcore power resides in the economy. He who controls the economy will have a bearing and an influence on politics and on the social sphere. Let me demonstrate this for one moment. In South Africa, you do have a structural problem where big monopoly capital or big corporates have a highly and unusually concentrated power in each sector you'll find that three or four industries or companies control the economy and that in turn they can then fund political parties they can disperse patronage they can even promise politicians whose security of tenure is not so assured i mean not so assured that should you be jettisoned off, then we will take you over. So during that time, some of the political leaders will do as much not to disturb the power arrangement or even do things to favor them. It is for that reason that the issue of disclosing who funds who in the political sphere becomes very important because that's where the lines of influence are very important. And also, who has shares where and where do politicians go when they retire, who funds them and their projects. 
So that in itself means that the economic power is far more important. You can use political power from a lower base, but you leverage the fact that government is a major procurer of services and the government has a budget, it can regulate, it has policies, but that needs a committed and a very astute, sophisticated leadership that is cohesive and very clear of its strategy. The moment it is fragmented, the moment it is not clear about its strategy, it undercuts whatever power or value it would have added. So that political power then diminishes in face of that because you still have to contend with the global, uh, you know, market forces. And the other one is the social space. What language do you speak? Who defines what is great, what is intelligent, what is rational, what dress code, and what is seen as acceptable norms and values? That is the cultural space. Uh, uh, and in the public spaces, which cultures are dominant and which cultures are used. So all those revolve around the economic power, and to some degree you do have political power and then social power. And what sort of influence then would this um, overarching, it would seem, economic power have when it comes to policy decisions? Let me give you a simple example in an illustrative manner. In South Africa, the mobile telephone system is dominated by two players, Vodacom and MTN. Government for years has been yearning and calling for reduction of unit prices, having done all the researches and studies, and the CASA has been trying everything, and they... One time, Minister Nyanda even said, by December, you will have uh, reduced tariffs from these mobile telephones. And they simply said, we don't know what he's talking about. We are going to tell government. We are going to tell ICASA when we are ready. The same thing with the drug, uh, you know, prices in the pharmaceuticals. So that is hardcore power. And at times, government has had to retreat in some instances. Of course, in other areas, government does prevail. Take the uh, collusion by the big construction companies. There was a lot of hot air, in a sense, and you thought that law would take its course. In the very first instance, we didn't even see the faces of people who took those decisions. We saw the logos of the companies. Even the media feared going in that direction, so it became a muted story. And they just received a slap in the wrist. And beyond that, no one was pursuing them. And they were arrogantly saying that no